This is the Athletic Hockey Show. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Athletic Hockey Show, the Wednesday Roundtable Edition. I am Rob Pizzo from CBC Sports, joined by my regular line mates, who I feel like I haven't seen in forever because it's been the summer and we just don't have as consistent of a schedule. Jesse Granger in Vegas. All right, Jesse. I'm doing well. And Russo back Short from Stockholm. Yeah, he's just doing well. Russo from Stockholm. You, you back on our time again? It's a shame that nobody could see Jesse's beard right now. It's just beautiful. Yeah, it is. I, this is the longest I've ever let it grow out. Yeah, it's. I, I just got back from a fishing trip, and I really embraced the like <laughs> camping mountain man uh, look with the beard. Yeah, you'll have to Google this. I'm dating myself again, uh, but uh, Google Merlin Olson, and that's what Jesse reminds me of right now. <laughs> I'll have to Google that too. But man, yeah, it's. I didn't, I didn't want to say anything. Don't tell me you both don't know who no. You, you no. cannot tell me that you both don't know who Merlin Olson no. is. I do not know Merlin Olson, no. He was Father Murphy in the NBC show in the early 80s. He played in the NFL. Russo. Actor, Russo. Athlete turned actor. You don't, you don't remember However the early 80s? However you tell us you are, I'm not believing it. I'm, I'm going to, you know. Add twenty years because every time you come on the show and you try to, I'm I'm yeah. I'm not even so Jesse's age. I'm old, yeah. and I don't know what you're talking about. So the reason, so I think Father Murphy was like sort of the precursor to Little House on the Prairie, if I remember correctly, which both of you might have to Google as well. No, I know that Michael one, Landon. Um, yeah. So, uh, so my cousin Scott Molini was Ephraim and Father Murphy. So every single week, uh, my brother and I would get on, turn on NBC. That was pre-DVR everything so if you had you had to watch it live and we would watch our, our little cousin who's a, a kid on uh, Father Murphy and that's how I really really got to know uh, Merlin Olson. Wow this show got off to a weird start never thought we'd be talking about little kids yeah. <laughs> watching little cousins on TV. Yeah. Uh, Stockholm is yeah. great. <laughs> that's it you're gonna be short so, and sweet like Jesse? Yeah. <laughs> no no St- Stockholm is really you know it was really cool guys and and I don't know if it's good for the state of our business but um so I was the only North American writer that went to Stockholm everybody else was Europeans or you know Elliot Freeman and Jeff Merrick and so what was really neat was that the way it works at these NHL media tours is that ev- there's different stations for these players to always go to and one is always the North American media so this upcoming week um, in Vegas, we got, and I'll, I can read you the list. The list is, the star power is crazy. So a bunch of us, um, you know, national folks, Pierre Lebrun and myself from The Athletic and about, you know, eight others are going out to Vegas and these players come and talk to you. But in that one setting, you're in a group of eight. This one, I was the only one. So I had access, uh, exclusive access to 22 European players. Um, and it was absolutely awesome. I mean, you know, everybody from Elias Pedersen to Jesper Bratt to Martin Nietzsche to, um, and what was really neat is that you get to like a lot of these players that I've interviewed in scrums or never interviewed, you kind of get to know them. And so like, there are certain guys like Rasmus Anderson and, um, you know, Jesper Bratt and Nietzsche, like I would, I would give any Elias Pedersen, I would give anything to cover these guys. They're so well spoken. They're awesome. But then there's players that I really have never met before, like Stutzla and some of the young guys like JJ Moser and Paterka, like super nice kids. Uh, great, great at interviews. So that was, that was a blast. I did a, as we'll talk about in a bit, I did a podcast with Bill Daly. And then what was really neat, guys, is I actually went up to Karlstad, uh, Sweden, took a train three hours through the forest of, uh, Sweden. 
uh, uh, and got to Karlstad and Jule Eriksson Eck, who plays for the Wild, picked me up at the train station, gave me a tour of his town, took me to his home, uh, his childhood home for three hours. His parents put on a feast. I did a big interview with him. And then um, he kept on getting these notifications that my train was delayed. So he just kept on extending, hanging out with me, brought me to Farstad's rink. I got to see this incredible rink with a sauna in the corner. Um, awesome European rink. That's where his dad also played. Uh, won three titles as a player, two as a coach, and then uh, hung out a little more with Erickson Eck. He gave me a tour of the town, dropped me off at the train station, and went back to to Stockholm. And what a beautiful city. I cannot wait. Uh, the Wild, actually, um, and the Maple Leafs and the Senators and the Red Wings play there in November, and I cannot wait to go to back there. It was just an incredibly beautiful city. First time I was ever there. Can you believe that when I asked him how Stockholm was, Jesse, the, his first reaction was, it was good. And that extends yeah. to all it was great. of that, just like hanging out, saunas, yeah. you know, all of our expectations. We went to, um, I went to this restaurant called The Pelican, Ufa Bodine, a uh, uh, really, really reputable, um, respected uh, Swedish reporter brought uh, Elliot Friedman, myself, and his producer, Amal, there. Um, first time I ever met Amal, uh, Jeff, and Jeff Demet, our producer here. What a great dude. But um, so he, we go to this restaurant. It's like this authentic Swedish restaurant, and it was a blast. Um, like one of those restaurants that like we had to beg them to get a like a you know a, an English menu. Like it was that authentic, and it was just it was just magnificent. So cannot wait to go back to that place. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so it was a good trip. Um, so as you mentioned, yeah. you got to sit down with Bill Daly. We're going to play that in the second uh, segment of the show, and then we're going to come off the back of it and just kind of touch on a few of the topics. I listened to it before uh, we came on the air today. Uh, nice little sit down. I always find Bill Daly to be <clears throat> rather interesting because he's the only guy I know who gives the corporate proper, not going to give you too much answer, but then follows it up with a whole bunch of information. You know, he kind of is that guy who doesn't want to talk, doesn't want to talk, but then I'm going to give you a little bit of, you know, something that you might find juicy in there. So we're going to hear uh, from Bill Daly in the second half of the show. I want to get your opinions, guys, on uh, a couple of things before we go uh, to break. I can't believe it's September. I don't know about you guys. I know Jesse doesn't have to worry about, you know, changing seasons that much the way Russo and I do, but uh, it's September 6th. Usually by this point, we know everything that there is to know. There might be a couple of free agents or a couple storylines or a couple of people we expected to be traded who might not have been moved yet. But I think there's a few this year, and I thought they were really interesting. So I want you to fill in the blank. Jesse, we're going to start with you. Uh, It's September 6th, and we still don't know what. What is the one thing that's sticking out to you that you're shocked that we don't know? We still don't know where two potential Vezina candidates are going to play this season um, in Connor Hellebuck and John Gibson. And it, <laughs> I remember back in the draft at, at, in Nashville talking with Harmon, um, our, our writer in Vancouver. He and I were working on a story on like ranking the goalies who landed in free agency and the trades. And we were like, OK, we've got all these pieces. These all these goalies moved. All this happened. Um, all we have to do now is wait for the Hellebuck and Gibson trades, because that's obviously going to be the biggest piece of this story. So we'll just wait. We're going to hold off on this story a couple days so that Hellebuck and Gibson can get traded. Um, Here we are months later. It was a good thing we didn't hold on. We had decided to just run that story because we would probably never run it. Um, It's crazy to me that it seemed like a certainty that these two guys were going to get moved. And you, you guys know me with the goalies, but it's there. There is no position that changes the, the the like the landscape of a division of a conference like 
a Connor Hellebuck like that. He like he will transform a team's outlook if he gets traded. And we still don't know if he's going to get moved, where he's going to get moved. Um, it's rarely is there a move that seismic that can that can have that big of an impact still looming this close to the season starting. Well, just uh, on that thought, uh, which is why I think they stay at least to start the year. I, I just think it's so late. Um, I mean, GM's meetings are this weekend, but uh, they're having a dinner with the head coaches on Thursday night and then, you know, meeting for three hours. There's not lot, much on the agenda. Obviously, guys can talk, but that might maybe spur some stuff. But if you're Winnipeg now and, you, you know, to me, they're a better team after the, after the Dubois trade and they didn't trade Shifley, who's coming off after a great year, like, you know, why trade Hellebuck at this point if you're not getting exactly what you want? And right now it looks like New Jersey and Buffalo aren't willing to pay the incredible assets that they're going to that that Winnipeg is commanding. I, I'd say keep them and see what happens because they could be a really interesting player in the central division. And I don't think anybody's taking Gibson. I think there's too much worry, one, about his contract, but too much worry. Like, you know, is he is he the same goalie he once was? How much it has to do with just playing behind that? horrific you know defensive team in anaheim and and so i i think both stay um in terms of me i'm i'm just still surprised that we still don't have a, a you know the names that were involved in that 2018 world junior scandal for for canada and we've been waiting and waiting and waiting in fact last year if you listen back to my bill daily uh sit down with sean gentile in vegas at the car wash there um that's one of the questions that we asked bill daly and and he expected it to happen at some point um and it still hasn't happened and obviously they're waiting for the authorities up in canada as well um and not not getting ahead of that but it's just crazy that that to me this just continues and i think we all assume that we know some of the names but uh be nice to have something official all right mine it's september 6th and we still don't know where thomas tatar is playing hockey this season that one to me is really weird uh like I know we're not talking Connor McDavid here, but we're talking about a 20 goal scorer, a guy who could be serviceable for a lot of teams. There are rumors out there in the internet universe that Lou Lamarello signed him a while ago and uh, he's just been Lou being Lou and he's just going to wait to actually announce it. But, you know, when you look at all those lists, like free agents still remaining, of course, you've got the Canes and the Taves, but those guys have you know, little side stories to them. We know that Jonathan Taves says he wants to right. step away for the game for the while. We know that Patrick Kane, even though he's back on the ice, like he's, he's recovering from surgery. He's not going to sign anywhere just yet, but what's, am I missing something with Thomas Tatar? Am I the only one who thinks this is really weird that it's September 6th that we don't know where he's playing? Jesse, you covered him, right? For about a month. Um, <laughs> the Golden Knights traded all those picks for him and then traded him away like immediately after. Um, but I, I mean, yeah, I think he's a good player. I, I will say that I think part of the reason I only covered him for a month was Gerard Gallant didn't think his commitment to the defensive side of the game and to other areas was as strong. So I think maybe that had part of the, was part of the reason that he, he wasn't, he didn't last here. So maybe teams are looking at him and mm-hmm. saying, well, there's a goal scorer, but but what else is he going to do for us? I, I, I honestly don't know. Um, he's produced everywhere he's gone, um, and he's played for quite a few different teams, so it shows you that it's not like he's a system guy. He can score wherever he is. I, I think it's a little odd, but then, like you said, you look down the list, and there, there are a lot of free agents that, that, are, that are guys that can still contribute and be good players that are still sitting out there. Maybe this is like the new thing, teams waiting towards camp. to see. Maybe, maybe they're waiting for injuries. You know you're going to get the odd injury here or there. Teams that didn't need a guy, didn't need a winger, are suddenly going to need one. Um, but I agree, it is kind of odd. 
Yeah, I'm looking at his numbers to 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 Rob's point. I mean, the guy has played 12 years. He's eight 20 goal seasons. One that he didn't get a 20 goal season was interrupted because it was slow starting because of the pandemic. Um, and one of those non 20 goal seasons, he only scored 19 goals during his rookie year. So, like you know, clearly this guy um, you know can score. But there's there's some reason why. Uh, I mean, he was a plus 41 last year, and we know the plus minus means everything. So. <laughs> you just love trolling the commenters so much. Uh, anyways, those that's our list of things we can't believe are not solved by he September He was plus 6. 41, but his analytics were yeah, bad. Or yeah, something. a couple more things before we go to break, guys. Um, some great pieces on The Athletic I wanted to bring up. You know, Scott Wheeler and you mentioned Harmon, uh, Jesse, earlier, Dial. They did a piece, uh, sixth straight year they've done this, so it's not anything new, analyzing the rookie class and the top 20 Calder Trophy candidates. And I find the bigger the prospect at number one, the more this kind of trophy falls by the wayside until the end of the year. Like, we all make our Hart Trophy predictions. We all make our Vesna Trophy predictions, our, you know, our, our Norris Trophy predictions. But when you've got someone like Connor Bedard sitting at number one, I don't know about you guys. I'm always just like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll deal with this around game 60. But I read this thing and there were a few things that jumped out to me and it's, it's great because they take everything into account with this, with this piece, you know, a coach's track record with young players, their depth charts, where they're going to fit in and things that voters ultimately end up looking at. Uh, was there something on this list or something that maybe jumped out Connor Bedard aside that, that you found really interesting? Russo? Logan Cooley. Like, I actually would put him, like, you know, I, I think that Logan Cooley is going to have a tremendous season in, um, you know, in, in Arizona. Um, I know that he's technically 19 years old, but he plays like a, he's got, I mean, his body, his game, everything just screams professional about him. He is such a good player. I got to watch him right around down the street here at the University of Minnesota for a long time. Uh, it was devastating to this program and to the fan base for the Gophers when he, uh, you know, said he was going to come back, and then a month and a half later changed his mind and and signed with Arizona. And he signed with Arizona because he's going to go there and play with Clayton Keller. And um, right away, when you play, if he gets on a line with Clayton Keller and maybe a Nick Schmaltz, uh, he's going to get his points. So I don't think that we should just anoint Connor Bedard the the uh, Calder Trophy winner just just yet. Yeah, that's. Cooley was going to be my guy, but since Russo talked about him, you know where I'm going to go. Uh, <laughs> Devin Levi in Buffalo. <laughs> this is a team play. This is a team that that there's the expectation is that they're going to take the step, and like they took a step last year. They've one point shy of the playoffs. They're so young. Everyone on that team is is it seems like every contributor on that team is like 23, 24, 22. And Devin Levi at the end of the year came in was awesome. We've seen a million goalies come into the NHL and have an awesome couple games and then never to be heard from again. But I believe in Devin Levi. I like his game. I think he's in a really good spot. Unlike Cooley, you know how this works. At the end of the year, if a pl- if a player is on a team that is in the playoffs, it gives him such a big advantage. Arizona and Chicago are going to be irrelevant for the last two months of the season, maybe longer. Um, whereas I think Buffalo, if Devin Levi is in net leading 
this team to the playoffs for the first, like they haven't been to the playoffs in forever. It's such a good story. I just love the Sabres story. If that team is good this year, it's going to be so much fun to watch. And and if the goalie is a rookie in, in that doing it, Devin Levi, he's, he's kind of like, like he was a big national story. I, I think he can absolutely unseat Bedard um, as, as a potential uh, Calder trophy winner. I'm going to eat a bit of Jesse's lunch here. Cause I have Levi as well. Um, but I also just have that whole list surprise me that, They've got the top 20 candidates. They've got 16 honorable mentions. So 36 players and eight of them are goaltenders. There are eight goaltenders that could legitimately win the Calder Trophy. There's only 32 teams in the NHL, right? They didn't add any teams when I wasn't looking. Like that to me was something that jumped out. The three of us have said this many times on this show. Uh, we consider ourselves guys who know this game pretty well, but when it comes to the, the you know junior players or NCAA players, we rely on the experts uh, like Scott Wheeler. Um, so that to me is one thing that I never would have kind of thought coming in that not only do you have top three on their list, someone who could who could win this award, but there are eight legitimate guys that if the right goalie goes down for a long period of time, suddenly you're looking at young players stealing that spot, which I thought was, was really interesting. So Jesse, I got to talk goalies too. <laughs> yeah. And like the, that, the, the interesting thing is you mentioned how many there are, but like the only one with a, with a chance that's obvious, that's going to be the guy in that is Levi. And like, like Dustin Wolf, I think was the second goalie on that list. And I love Wolf, everything I've seen from I, I, his skating is unbelievable, but He's in Calgary where Markstrom and Vladar, like, is he even going to get to play? Yeah. Like he may, he may be in the AHL all year, but if, if, if Wolf gets to play behind that Calgary team, I think he's, he's going to be awesome. You know, and, and just again, looking at this list, you know, there are just like, we forget Matthew Nye is called, called or eligible. Uh, we, we, we forget about, you know, Shane Wright. I mean, there, there are guys that have gotten their feet wet a little bit that are mm-hmm. also going to be, um, right there, I think very, very much to the end. This is going to be an exciting season, I think, of watching a lot of these young players um, really, really play well in this league. So let's go from analyzing rookies to just hard-hitting summer content, uh, cheat meals that players eat during the summer. <laughs> this is something, Russo, you were uh, involved in, I'm sure. Uh, you're gonna frame this one and put it up because it was it was a lot of fun. I loved it with Jeremy Rutherford and Peter Baugh. Uh, I love this kind of stuff. I've said this on the show before. I love hearing how players work out. I love hearing how players eat. I I just, I find this really interesting. And you guys, uh, you know, surveyed a bunch of players to find out what's their favorite cheat meal. And there's some great ones in there and and we could talk about our favorites. But the one thing that seems so obvious and it makes so much sense, but you don't think this way, you guys were asking about the off season. What's your favorite meal in the off season? But the one thing that started the piece that got me was the fact that most players would agree that the off season is actually where they have to be a little stingier. The off season, they're not yeah. burning as many calories, so they can't eat some of the junk that maybe they do shovel down their throats during the regular season. It makes sense. They're not burning. They're not on the ice, you know, multiple hours every day. Uh, but I thought that was kind of really interesting. Uh, and I'll throw this out there. My favorite was still Mark Stone saying that he just yes. plows iced cappuccinos from Tim Hortons all summer. <laughs> how, how did you guys yep. even come up and with I, this idea, if, Russo, by the way? 
Well, if well, first of all, it was Jeremy Rutherford's idea. I don't want to take uh, credit. I got into it late in the game just because I was at the Swedish, uh, you know, the the European version of the player media tour. So I'm like, you know, they asked me if I can ask uh, players. So I asked 20 players. And so I sent them so much stuff. They're like, oh, we're th- giving you a byline. But wasn't it also Mark Stone that basically said that during the offseason yeah. um, that that's when he uh, tries to be smart. And it's during the season where he just just chows down on a bunch of uh um, you know, calories. Uh, you know, I could relate. My cheat food is a is a salad. Um, that's that that would be my cheat yeah, food. Yeah, okay. You know, in in, <laughs> I think that's a sports writer like sure. thing. Like when when you're cheating uh the hot dogs and the beer <laughs> and the popcorn, it's eating a salad every now and then. That's we should just do like a self deprecating <laughs> sports writer version of this. Um, some of them though were unbelievable. Like when I went to Eric's ex house, his parents served this thing. I can't even say it in Swedish, but it's this like bread with the like vanilla frosting in there. It's, it was just unreal. Um, you know, I could s- still envision, uh, you know, Faraby just talking about like his, you know, like Slovak sausages. Um, Marcus Flino was just tremendous on it. Um, and then as you said, there's some guys that just are like Elias Pedersen just keeps such track on what he puts in his body that there was just, you know, there's some guys you almost couldn't use, you know, like Log- <laughs> I, I texted Logan Couture and Logan Couture's cheat food sushi. You know, it's like, what? You know, so it's like, it, it's just, I don't know. It's it's just to me very, very, um, it was interesting, as you guys said. I mean, you know, we're at the dog days of the offseason. I think it's an interesting thing that a lot of fans wonder about what these guys put in their body. Um, but it was also one of those stories that you're like, all right, let's uh, start talking about hockey now. That was what stood out to me was how much healthier these guys eat than I do. Because what <laughs> I pictured, what I pictured the, the, the cheat meals to be, they were like, like uh, Rob said, Mark Stone. Oh, I, I do iced coffee. I'm like that <laughs> to him. He's like, what? What bad stuff do I put in my body? Iced coffee. Yeah, that's pretty bad. That's and I'm like, man, your standard is a lot higher than mine. For- <laughs> in fairness, in fairness, the one thing for that people always seem to forget that Tim Hortons iced coffee is like 470 calories. You know, if you have it with oh. cream, they said it's the equivalent of something like six Big Macs as far as fat content goes. What? So yeah, it's oh. in fairness, that, no is, that is, you know, Tim Hortons here are every 15 feet where I live and right. everyone always just stay away from the ice caps. They're so bad for you. They're delicious. But yeah, I can understand how that's, that's considered a cheat meal. So uh, go check it out. There's a whole bunch of players, a whole bunch of really, and I got so hungry reading that damn piece. I was like, oh, some of the pictures there uh, are really good too. Um, after the break, as we mentioned off the top, Russo had a chance to sit down with Bill Daly, Deputy Commissioner of the NHL. We're going to play you that tape and kind of analyze some of the things that he did or did not say. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Okay, without further ado, this is uh, Bill Daly sitting down with our own Mike Russo uh, in Stockholm, Deputy Commissioner of the NHL. Well, 27 years in January, uh, Bill Daly has been with the National Hockey League, uh, Deputy Commissioner. Uh, I feel like I've probably done more podcasts with you. Maybe Bill Guerin's number one, uh, but you're understandably you're a close so. Yeah, you're, I know. That's my day job yeah. is being in Minnesota. Um, but it seems like I always talk to you at these uh, at the player tours and then obviously the GM's meetings and things like that. Um, and just for, let's start off. I mean, this is going to be an interesting uh, uh, training camp coming up. Like I was just talking to J.J. Moser, and this guy is so excited to get to Australia uh, with the the Coyotes and the LA Kings to just have begin training camp down there. But as he said, that sometimes we take for granted is introducing the sport to a new country, a new continent. Um, and how much is that a big part of why you guys decided to make such a step and go down there for exhibition games and 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 training camp? Well, I definitely think it was a, a, a big part of it. Um, there's no doubt. Australia has uh, has a level of hockey fandom already. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of of people uh, who you know came from either the United States or Canada. Uh, and really have desired, um, strongly desired NHL hockey for some time now. They've been talking to us for 10 or 15 years, trying to persuade us to, to take the plunge and mm-hmm. to, to bring some teams down to down under. Um, and ultimately, <laughs> we decided to do it this year, and, and we decided to do it for, for good reason. One, obviously, we, we do have some fans already in Australia. We think it's a sporting nation. Um, with a, a real demand for sports at a high level, really any kind of sports, um, but hopefully particularly hockey. Um, and we, so we think we can grow a fan base in Australia, and we think there's business opportunities in Australia. Mm-hmm. It's a fairly rich market as well, has a well-developed economy, and, and if, uh, if, if people like hockey, um, people are probably willing to, um, to, to, to buy around the game. And so that... Uh, those were all factors. Um, obviously, the fact that it's a new market um, is an important one. And, uh, you know, the, uh, we had two teams who were enthusiastic to do it and had players who were enthusiastic to do it. It was uh, kind of something different mm-hmm. in the sense that, you know, it'll break the normal routine of, of their day-to-day training camp existence and, and uh, be something different. Uh, be a great experience for people, and uh, hopefully, if we have some success down there, we can we can make it part of a, a a normal rotation. That doesn't necessarily mean every year. As a matter of fact, it doesn't mean every year. Um, but uh, but some uh, on some regular basis, bringing uh, NHL content to Australia. Are you or Gary going to go down there for it? So uh, as of right now, Gary is uh, slated to go. Uh-huh. Uh, I am going to sit this one out, um, <laughs> at least at this point in time. So uh, that's that's the current plan. Yep. And then um, uh, will you be at the Stockholm Games then? I will be at the okay. Stockholm Games. I, uh, I certainly anticipate being at the Stockholm Games, which also should be fun. Yeah. And that's what I want to ask you about. So, um, you know, obviously we're doing this podcast from Stockholm. Um, you see it 
just going around this country the last couple of days, just how how much of a fandom this this country is with with uh, the sport, and um, now to have four teams that are going to be in the in the global games here: um, Ottawa, Detroit, Minnesota, and uh, Toronto. Um, h- how big was that to come back here and to continue to grow this uh, this thing and this in and make this a European flavor as well? I hear. Well, we have very deep. Uh, and long-rooted ties to to Sweden. Mm-hmm. And Sweden, obviously, is our biggest producer of non-North American players uh, of any European country, and, mm-hmm. and really by far. And those numbers continue to increase, right? We, mm-hmm. we um, uh, you know, continuously uh, draft more and more Swedish-born players, and, and uh, we trust the Swedish uh, player development system here to, to develop those players. Um, and, uh, you know, as a result, we have more... Uh, Swedish players in the NHL, and I think that trend will continue. Uh, we've invested in that model. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we we've paid uh, the Swedish Federation and and the Swedish Hockey League uh, lots of money in development fees over the years to develop mm-hmm. Swedish-born players uh, for our sport. But uh, obviously, um, you know that relationship has fostered um, you know a close tie. Uh, to hockey here in Sweden, and that is uh, part of the reason that we uh, come here regularly. Um, and this year, you know, again, thinking outside the box, trying to be creative, uh, we came up with this idea of bringing four teams at once. It's mm-hmm. the first time we've done that uh, to any market, um, and we felt like a kind of festival slash tournament type uh, um, uh, event would be well-received here mm-hmm. in Stockholm. And, you know, having four consecutive games on four consecutive nights in any market is probably a challenge. But we think if there's any market that's up for that challenge, it's uh, Stockholm. The, um, with that, like, in, you mentioned that Australia is going to be, uh, you know, semi-regularly maybe. Uh, uh, what will you do in terms of the continuing the global games? Will you continue to come back here every year or will you be rotating that as well? So, I mean, we haven't been here every year, right? Um, but we were, we're regularly here. And, and I would say, you know, in, in the last, you know, if you leave the pandemic years aside, um, you know, we've we've basically been here on an every other year basis. Mm-hmm. And I would expect that probably continues. I do expect that the global series itself um, as a property will continue to grow. Um, and that we'll, you know, we'll be playing regular season games in other markets that mm-hmm. we might not have played in before. And I think we've had, you know, I think we have four cities in Europe where we've staged regular season games, uh, actually maybe five, because um, I'm remembering Gothenburg now. Mm-hmm. You know, we've had Stockholm, Gothenburg, um, Helsinki, uh, Tampa, and Prague. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you'll see those cities that are uh, that we believe are capable uh, and would support NHL regular season games. The number of those cities are increasing uh, as hockey becomes more popular on this continent. Right. Um, there's one league now uh, in North America for women's hockey. How much will that continue? Like, will you work pretty much closely with that league? And and how do you see things evolving there? I mean, it's the expectation, mm-hmm. certainly, to work closely with that league. Um, you know, there's new leadership involved. Um, it's familiar leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Stan Kasten has a long-standing relationship, both with the commissioner, but also our league. Um, he ran the Atlanta Thrashers for a period of time, and I think he uh, he's partial to hockey. He supports hockey. He likes hockey, and I think he sees uh, has a vision for the future of women's hockey. Um, and certainly, we've uh, we've already uh, had uh, intensive conversations on how we can be helpful. Mm-hmm. 
uh, and supportive uh, to uh, that league, mm -hmm. um, you know, as early as uh, their inaugural season, which they expect to be, you know, January uh, of, of next calendar year. Um, so really at the end of our mm -hmm. season. Uh, in terms of launching, and and uh, that's a work in progress. Uh, but uh, yes, we we intend to be as helpful and supportive of that league as possible. Uh, you know, I'm anticipating that even Minnesota is going to have a, a team in that league. Uh, do do uh, do do the does has the league given approval to NHL teams to essentially work closely with certain teams in that in that league? Yes, mm -hmm. uh, the answer is yes. Um, you know, we we want to be included in the loop in terms of those conversations and and mm -hmm. how they uh, transpire. Um, you know, we covered uh, the issues at our uh, recent club business meetings mm -hmm. in Los Angeles uh, at the end of July. Um, uh, but uh, but yes, I mean, we mm -hmm. you know as much as we as a league want to be supportive. Um, you know, we encourage our clubs to be supportive as well. Um, I, I know I ask you about this a lot, but obviously it's a huge thing in every market or many markets about what's going on with Diamond Sports and, and the Bally's Regionals. Um, you, you know, now, now I know that a lot of teams did get their payments uh, recently, um, but you also have Diamond Sports that's trying to negotiate deals with, with Comcast, with, uh, with uh, you know, DirecTV, and obviously – teams need to have their stuff distributed um where is what is the latest here and is there a timeline on when this needs to be figured out so these teams know that they're 100 percent going to be on these regionals this year uh well i mean obviously uh, you know the sooner the better um but there's you know it, it the 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 whole landscape is really muddied by the bankruptcy in the yep. sense of you know you, you can't establish firm timelines um obviously we'll know a lot more um, you know, a month from now, uh, with with how those carriage negotiations end up playing out, uh, that you mentioned, um, you know, the lifeblood of, of of Bally's and Diamond Sports Group, uh, in terms of their ability to to be successful uh, in the marketplaces, um, you know, it it won't surprise you, and it's probably consistent with the last answer I gave you. You know, the leagues themselves uh, are, understand the importance of having games distributed, um, or or having fans have access mm -hmm. to the their teams' games, and and uh, we're prepared to do what needs to be done to make sure that happens, regardless of an interruption of service uh, from Diamond Sports. Group. At least in the report that I saw the other day that it said that in bankruptcy court that you basically said that there needs to be, you know, probably by the end of September, I mean, you need to know, right? I mean, in terms of what the contingencies are that you might as a league and team specific teams are going to do. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's exactly what we told the court uh, at the last hearing, which I think was, may have been the start of last week. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, ha having said that, uh, you know, an entity in bankruptcy can make certain promises, uh, and commitments and representations that, mm -hmm. you know, if the, if, if the facts don't play out the way, uh, they want them to play out, uh, they have to, uh, renege on, uh, and that's what the protection of the bankruptcy court allows to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, you gotta play, you gotta play by the rules and, and we, we aren't making or writing the rules. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how it proceeds, uh, how it plays out, and we'll be prepared for every uh, contingency. It, uh, the contingencies, could they be specific for each market, uh, or is there could be one blanket for all the regionals on how they're going to all handle this if they stream on their own websites or go over the air? Or I know, like, I think the Buffalo Sabres essentially own their own 
you know, produce their own games and things like that. So I do think the contingencies differ by market. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, they're, they're, I, I think all of our clubs with uh, relationships with Bally Sports um, uh, are exploring what local options they have, whether it be over the air or whether it be potential other carriers. Mm -hmm. um, and each market is different, um, just like every market is different, even mm -hmm. if this was not happening, right, uh, mm -hmm. in terms of what your options are, what your outlet options mm -hmm. are. Uh, and you saw the way that it played out the last time the, the Wild negotiated for a local television yep. contract where they're, you know, there appeared to be limited options and ultimately they got the deal they needed to get. Right. Um, let's move on to Arizona. Uh, you know, I know a topic that seems to be never ending. Obviously, they came out last week and announced that they purchased uh, land or, or working to purchase land in Mesa that would not uh, require a public referendum and, and all that. But, you know, it's sometimes with Arizona, you just never know exactly what, what the future holds and what to believe and, and things like that. Sometimes? Yeah, sometimes. Exactly. Um, so w what is the latest? Because, we, you know, Gary has said publicly that pretty much by you know, mid-season that you really need to have a, a definitive uh, decision on where they're going to play their games or or you might have to explore other options. Yeah, I mean, I think that continues to be the case, right? So I, I don't think the timeline has changed. Um, I, you know, we, we get uh, regularly updated by Javier Gutierrez mm -hmm. uh, with respect to the, the status of, of their uh, discussions on, on various things and Alex Morello. Um, they're committed uh, to finding a place in Arizona and making it work there. Uh, they continue to be optimistic mm -hmm. uh, about their ability to do so. Um, I think what you saw last week or the week before, whenever it was, um, uh, was part of that uh, kind of overall plan. Uh, and I'll think, I, I think there'll be uh, other things that come um, down the road um, that will will tell you whether they're making progress, yeah. real progress, or, or whether they're not. But I, but I expect that to continue to be an evolving situation. All I can say is um, they remain optimistic and confident. Um, and so, you know, we, we get our information from the Coyotes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, how how delicate of a balance is this for the league? Because I mean, this is one another one where you have to make contingencies. In, you know, if if this doesn't work out, and I I mean, obviously, we know that you've talked to Salt Lake City, other markets that have interest as well. So, how hard is it where you've got to, you know, Coyotes fans want to hope that their team could stay there and have a future there, but yet you've as a league, you need to figure out a potential uh, reaper, you know. Yeah. Uh, contingency. I mean, I feel sorry for the fan base, yeah. right? Because it's not the first time we've been in this situation we're in currently. Yeah. <laughs> um, it <laughs> seems like it's been, uh, uh, you know, repeated uh, numerous times over the last 10 to 15 years. Um, and that uncertainty is not helpful to the club mm -hmm. or the club's business uh, long term or to the fan base. And so I, I feel bad for the fans. I think it's unfair to them to a certain extent. Uh, even though it's, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure I can find, uh, you know, a single individual or group of individuals mm -hmm. who I can pin responsibility on. It's just kind of the, the hands they've been dealt uh, over time and uh, doing the best you can with that. So it's not an ideal situation mm -hmm. by any means, um, but it's something that, uh, you know, ownership continues to be committed to trying to resolve. Yeah. A couple more quick hitters for you, Bill, and then, Okay. Um, let me ask you about then 2018 uh, 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 World Juniors update. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, obviously this is something that I even asked you about last year at the uh, at the uh, at the NHL media tour. Uh, what's the latest, and and is it even frustrating for you that it's taken this long to? 
Um, no, because I, I think the investigation takes whatever time it needs to take. Mm-hmm. Um, right? Uh, you want to do a thorough job. You want to get the. Uh, you want to get all the information you can. I think it's only fair to gather all mm-hmm. the information you can. Um, I do think you know we expect to see uh, a final report uh, mm-hmm. very shortly, um, uh, and then you know, and then what flows from that is really an unknown at this mm-hmm. point. But uh, I expect that you know that that'll play out. Um, it's going to sound redundant, but sooner rather than later. Yeah, and just lastly, how excited are you for the season? Like every time I come to these things and you see these players, they're they are so excited to get back to North America uh, and and get going. And same thing from a league level. I mean, you do all this planning in the summer to play the games. Yeah, no, we're we're really excited about the new season. I think uh, you know it's it's going to you know the game on the ice has never been better, but I think it gets better every season, mm-hmm. right? The skilled of our players uh, are better, um, uh, you know, and the and the entertainment quality of our game is better. So uh, can't wait, um, can't wait to get at it, and uh, feel like we're we're in the home stretch of of uh, what was a short summer. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, Bill, as always, I really appreciate you coming on. I'll see you back here in Stockholm in a couple months, which I'm looking forward to. And uh, and good luck this season. Sounds great. Thanks, Mike. Okay, guys, a couple things that uh, I wanted to bring up from that interview. Nice job, Mike, off the top. Uh, hockey in Australia. Right off the top of the interview, I just kind of thought it was so interesting because I get in this debate all the time with with some of my friends, and some of them will argue that you could literally count on one hand the number of countries in the world that really care about this game. You know what I mean? They do, and it's huge, but you can really count it on one, maybe two hands. Uh, your thoughts on just the NHL's attempt to, you know, as he put it, grow a fan base from from nothing. Like, we're, we're not talking about, hey, do they like hockey over there? They're literally trying to grow a fan base on the other side of planet Earth uh, from nothing because they are such a big, you know, a country that's really into their sports. They care and they've got the good infrastructure, good economy to maybe tap into that market. Jesse, what'd you think of that? I love the idea. I just don't know if it will ever happen without them having a team. Um, and I, and I think just looking at Vegas from, I mean, Vegas is a lot closer than Australia and there were a lot of people in Vegas that liked hockey, but it didn't really blow up here and people didn't really care about it until they had a team that was their team. And I think it's very difficult to, to grow the game in areas where they don't have a team to root for them that, that don't traditionally like hockey, like Australia. I see the golden Knights. They do a little tour every, every summer where they go up to salt Lake city and they go into Montana and they're trying to like capture that region and be say, we're your team. But at the same time, it's still the Vegas Golden Knights and you play in Vegas and it's not our team. Um, I think it's, will there ever be teams overseas? I don't know. Like I know the NFL has, has really like thrown that idea out there of having teams in England and stuff like that. And I think that's the only way a, a, a country like Australia, that's not hockey rabid. It's going to be hard. Like I, like I said, I love the idea. I applaud the, the, the effort. I don't know how realistic it is without giving them a team, the Aussie NHL team that they can root for to, to blow the game up in, in, in Australia. What do you think, Michael? Yeah. And I, I think, I think Bill Daly is pretty candid on like, this is also a way to, you know, gain revenue streams to just build a fan base there. There's, there's money-making opportunities there. Um, you know, uh, I mean, look, Nathan Walker grew up there, right? And he's in the NHL now. Uh, I think he was born in Wales, but grew up in, in Australia and started playing there. So there's rinks and things like that. 
but to Rob's point, you know, until you, until, you know, we have so many few, so few countries that actually not just care about it, but have the ability for people to play that if you could just start to build it up, who knows what this thing could look like 10, 15 years from now, if people fall in love with the game, there are fans there because so many people move to Australia from other uh, necks of the wood. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I could tell you that uh, when I look at my Twitter account, even the Minnesota Wild has a bunch of fans there that I get tweets from all the time that that are down under, listen to my podcast, all that type of thing. So I think it's an interesting thing. They're not going to go there every year. They're bringing the LA Kings, which is tailor made because Nathan Walker's from there. Um, but but I could tell you the players are looking forward to it. like JJ Moser, um, who plays for the Coyotes, was could not wait to get down there, and they're having training camp down there. Um, to start off before their exhibition games and coming back here. And it's just an interesting little, um, you know, experiment from the league and uh, to try to build, uh, you know, that that's one thing that keeps the NHL from growing is that, you know, you, there, there are guys that are in other sports that if they walk down the street in many other countries, you're going to know right away who they are. If Connor McDavid walks through the middle of, you know, bumfuck wherever, it's very unlikely that people can be like, oh, my God, that's Connor McDavid, unless you're from over here and happen to be there. So I think that's part of the thing that the league is trying to do here. Uh, another topic, I'm, I'm really glad you brought up the PWHL um, because, you know, it, it's obviously kind of all, all at once made the news. We finally have one women's hockey league. Um, and, you know, he called it a work in progress, but did say they had talks about how they could help. And here's the reason I thought that was really interesting. For years, we've heard Gary Bettman has made no bones about it. When there were multiple leagues, he said, call us when you have one league and we'll help. Okay. The, 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 the structure is there. I know that there's only six teams and there's only six players as of this recording that have signed in that free agent period. Um, I'm wondering how much Gary, um, excuse me, Bill Daly wanted to tell you there and how much he didn't because we're at that point. Are they going to start cutting a big yearly check to this league? That's that's my big question mark. What do you think, Russo? Yeah, I don't think they're at that point yet. I, I think that, um, you know, the, I mean, it's interesting that Brian Burke is now a part of that league and all that stuff. I think one reason why Bill was being a little bit cagey there was also he knew that probably that announcement was coming right around the corner and he didn't want to jump out in front of it and say something that, you know, would be getting ahead of the news. Um, you know, th the one thing about this league is, and we're seeing today, there's a bunch of players in the last couple of days, a bunch of players signing with all the, with different franchises. The Minnesota franchise just, just signed three today, but it did this, this felt like an expedited press conference um, where they didn't have every duck in a row. And all of a sudden they had this press conference to announce it. And I, I think that there's still a lot of things that need to be ironed out in, for, in front of details. Like right now, like the Minnesota franchise is expecting to play games at XL Energy Center, but there's no formal agreement yet. They still don't really have a, 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 what a schedule might look like. And so there's still a lot of stuff that's going on. But I think that what thing that Bill Gaelli sort of made clear is that, you know, they welcome these franchises, NHL franchises to, to, you know, help out and have affiliations with the women's teams. And so I think the Minnesota Wild are going to be part of helping promote the women's team here in uh in minnesota and i think that's very important to help give this league uh you know extra credibility uh to just have some assistance from you know from the big brother here in the we've, nhl we've seen in basketball how much the nba has helped the wnba grow and like that yep, that really absolutely. is like the key to it and i think there, like russo said there's so many things that have the details that have to be ironed out but this to me from afar 
feels like the most momentum, the the most optimistic I've been about the women's game and a league actually like gaining some traction and growing. Um, and and I think the key was getting it down to one league, and and that's kind of what they've been saying for years. And the fact it just feels different to me. Does it feel different to you guys? Like I, this feels a little more yes. optimistic. It feels like the, like something like they're on the verge of of something here. But I think I think we were going to feel that Jesse, the very fact that they're on the same page for once, right. Ever, you know right. what I mean? Like they haven't been, and it felt for for so long. Like you had a bunch of people that didn't want to get on the same page, even though they knew that was going to be good for what they were trying to mm-hmm. do. You can't have, you can't grow a league like that where three of your best players in one league, three of your best players in the other league, unless you're soccer, the most famous sport on planet earth, right. it's just not going to work. So for me, I'm with you. I, I kind of feel like this is the most momentum we've ever seen. Well, that's because there's just one damn league, <laughs> but I also understand Russo's concern. I feel like this was announced and then suddenly, man, free agency period. We've got the draft on the 18th. We've got, whoa, like I feel like this is, you you got a lot of work to do here. And that's why they're looking to start the season in January. I'm just really, really concerned about what kind of help they're going to get. Because you mentioned the WNBA, Jesse. To me, it's a matter of, it doesn't matter how popular or not popular a league is. You're going to go through some financial woes. They do have the backing of... (laughs) some very rich people. So that's a good thing. But if you've got a check coming in every year that you can kind of, you know, weather the ebbs and flows of, of financial, you know, reports, I think that's a big thing. So I was really glad that Russo asked him that. Uh, I kind of rolled my eyes when Russo asked him about the coyotes, not because I didn't think you should have, but you guys know my take on this one. I'm so sick and tired of hearing about this damn arena. <laughs> uh, you know, as, I, I thought that was interesting when, uh, I mean, you mentioned before how Bill Daly sometimes will like be a little forthcoming. How when I asked him, like, you know, sometimes you really don't know what you believe there. And he goes, right. yeah. yeah, that was the best that's line. It. So that's what I was yeah. going to yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Like off the top when I mentioned that sometimes he kind of starts slow and then yeah. we'll give you more information was specifically yeah. with this Coyotes, you know, that's, question. That's, that's why, it, that's why it, to me, this, this announcement that they made about having this land deal with Mesa and trying to, you know, play with everybody's heartstrings that the Coyotes are staying, you got to take with a grain of salt. And yeah. even Bill Daly is taken with a grain of salt. Like right now, they are still looking at contingency plans. And by midseason, if there is not a finite, like ex- where this team is going to play, what the future is, I can see this team move into Salt Lake City 100%. Well, I thought it was interesting because he started by saying, quote, it's continuing to be an evolving situation. And I remember out loud said, no shit, Bill. Like we, we've been con- evolving for God knows how long. But then he went on to really say that he feels sorry for the fan base. The uncertainty is not helpful for the league. He said it's unfair to a fan and it's not an ideal situation, which is not usually the the message we get from the league when it comes to the Coyotes, right? It, no matter how shitty it can get, we seem to always have the, well, we're going to make it work in Arizona. This is the first time you really kind of heard someone who represents the league, Jesse, saying, yeah, this sucks right now. To me, it's, I think the vote in, in Arizona going against the Coyotes changed the way the NHL is handled. I think the NHL has kind of said, you know what? We have other options. Like I, I, I really do believe that just listening to Gary at the Cup final and 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 Bill, it just really seems that that vote going against them was the turning point where the NHL they we the NHL still wants to be in Arizona, but they're no longer 
saying we're going to be in Arizona no matter what. They they want the state of Arizona, the decision makers, they want those people to to know that we have legitimate other options that we can pursue if you're not going to play ball with us, essentially. And I think that that vote going against him was what changed the the whole vibe around it. And and I'm telling you, this might sound like a preposterous statement, but if they move to Salt Lake, when there is expansion next, don't be ex- don't be shocked if they go back to Arizona. Like like I'm telling you, like I think they are not going to boot on this market. They just want to get it right, and right now they just can't wait forever on on the Coyotes to find a home. But they're not just going to like. There's a reason why they have spent 20 years trying to save this franchise, and so if they move to Salt Lake. And the next, when this, this league eventually goes to 34, which they will, because it's a money making thing in the next five years, like, it, it, don't be shocked. Like, everybody's like, Quebec City, Quebec City. No, it's going to be Atlanta and Arizona, I bet. Just keep going back to the same places, even though it's failed on multiple occasions. Uh, great interview. Really enjoyed that, Mike. Uh, and like I said, I, I, I love, I love daily. <laughs> yeah. I just got to read you these names and I'm just going to read them all because they're crazy. The the players that we're getting uh, at the NHL media tour coming up here in the coming week. All right. So uh, alphabetical order via team. Okay. Uh, Troy Terry, Clayton Keller, Charlie McAvoy, Tage Thompson, Nazem Kadri, Seth Jarvis, Seth Jones, Connor Bedard, Bowen Byram, Johnny Goudreau, Jason Robertson, Dylan Lorcan, Leon Dreisaitl, and Connor McDavid. Matthew Kachuk, Andre Kopitar, Matt Boldy, Cole Caulfield, Philip Forsberg, Jack Hughes, Anders Lee, Adam Fox, Jacob Truba, Brady Kachuk, Travis Konechny, Sidney Crosby, Mario Ferraro, Matty Beniers, Robert Thomas, Mikhail Sergachev, Ilya Samsonov, John Tavares, and Quinn Hughes. That is going to be... That is like ridiculous that these guys are all going to be... One goalie? National media yeah. <laughs> One goalie? <laughs> Come on. I mean, it's Ilya Samsonov. <laughs> I, didn't that. I love Ilya Samsonov, <laughs> but I will say I've 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 been led to believe that Samsonov's a great quote, yeah, which is yeah. all that matters. Oh wow, that's that's the problem. The problem is the the, the goalies must be sh- like shitty quotes, don't you think, Jesse? I don't. I think they're <laughs> they're I think all weirdos. They're, I think they're, I think they're probably. I I agree with that. They're weirdos, and I think they're probably harder to track down uh, in in the middle of September than than the the skaters are. Hey, t- tell me, tell me uh, that you read my Philip Gustafson piece, Jesse, the other day. I have not read it yet. It is, it is honestly hilarious. This guy plays um, like these mental checks during games where he'll like try in his own head during a game to name like different things that start with every letter from A to Z. So one night, middle of third period, he is having trouble in net, like a, a tight tie game. He's having trouble coming up with an animal that starts with the letter Q. So during the TV timeout, he goes to the bench and asks all the players on the bench and the trainer, name an animal that starts with Q. And everybody looked at him like he was like, what? And then apparently somebody just yelled out quail. And he's like, oh, quail. And then he went back into that. And they were like, what the hell just happened here? And apparently that's one of the things he does. He does all these funny things. The other funny thing is that he's not on an iPhone. So the group chat, they're not on WhatsApp, Brutal. they do a group chat. And he was wreaking such havoc with their group chat that they he is no longer on the group chat. He just has to get separate texts every day with where to be. He doesn't know any of the inside yeah. jokes. It's brutal. Um, the green, if, the if, green if the text cat, messes yeah. up the group chat so bad. The get, the, whoever yeah. has the green text, it's brutal. But it's always because that always comes in on a separate chat, right? It doesn't go in that yeah. same group chat. Yeah. 
So like if Spurgeon sends out something to like the entire team, it has to be copied and pasted and sent to him. Ryan Hartman will put on Ryan Hartman's the judge and jury of the wild. So he's the one that finds the players and like he'll he'll like all of a sudden like not know like why somebody's being fined or if he's been fined, like things like that. It's a it's a really funny story, uh, Jess, if you give a chance to read it. Um a quoka, a quaga, a quoll, a quetzal. These are all quilling panda. Quahog, there's a few for him next time. You can pass that. Yeah, pass so that on to him. so it's the we actually put a list in the story with that anecdote of like <laughs> of like uh, animals that start with Q. It's the only time I'm telling you in in professional print journalism history that there was an actual chart in a publication with animals that start to Q just inexplicably just popped into a story. <laughs> well, well, certainly the, uh, the athlete. While our listeners try to think of a few more, we're going to go to break after the break. Long list of rapid fire, so we're going to have to uh, put a muzzle on Russo if he gets too long-winded on this one. All right, boys, my favorite time of the show and yours, rapid fire. Topic number one, if you're a Leafs, Habs, or Pens fan, they love getting tickets in Buffalo because they could see their team a lot easier and usually a lot cheaper too. But the Sabres are trying to change that. They're using other teams have done some form of this, but they're using their zip codes to put locals at the front of the line so that Sabre fans are the ones getting these tickets as opposed to especially Leaf fans. You, you watch a Sabres game against the Leafs and there's a lot more blue jerseys in there than you would think. Uh, your thoughts on teams trying to give their fans first choice on tickets. Jesse? Well, I think it's odd because aren't a lot of Sabres fans from Toronto, like they play the Canadian national anthem every game there, even if it's two UST, like yeah. when Vegas plays Buffalo, they play the Canadian national anthem. And I remember the first time I went there, I was like, <laughs> what is going on right now? And someone was told me like, yeah, like half the people in this building come down from Toronto. But how do you distinguish which people from Toronto are the like Sabres, like regular Sabres fans that come down and which ones are the Leafs fans trying to like I don't to me it's weird especially for that city a city that plays another country's anthem because so many fans come from the other city very odd to me I don't know how they're going to do it Michael yeah I mean uh you know maybe they'll have like a max like distance like like Niagara on the lake max or like <laughs> Hamilton but you can't be past uh past Hamilton I don't know I mean I, I actually have no problem with teams doing this as long as they're successful I, I I think what's funny is when they're not successful again all of a sudden they're like all right anybody can come we'll take the revenue um you know we saw that with the with the, we've seen that with in Florida this year with uh you know it was it was hard for other teams to get in there we've seen Vegas try to do that. Um, there's no doubt. Uh, it's usually in the know, playoffs, when, when though, not for the regular season, right? It's usually playoffs. Yeah, like, but but even the Vegas has made that. That's been a while, uh, you know, especially after their first year, where you know teams like Minnesota would come and five thousand people would be wearing wild jerseys. They've tried that uh, to stop it. Uh, it was always interesting in Arizona. Like you go to Glendale Arena, guys, and like half yeah. the, I mean, three quarters of the building were wearing the opposing jersey. Now it's a little tougher with in a uh, forty-six hundred. Bill Foley actually explained it to me. Um, I don't remember the exact rules, but it is pretty crazy. The rules Vegas has about selling. Yeah, he, they'll, they'll make well, you not forfeit only that, your they, tickets. The Golden Knights will not sell more than like three seats together for opposing. Like you you can buy 20 seats if you if you have a group of 20, but they split you up around the arena because they don't want chunks of the, the arena colored, like looking wow. like the opposing fans. So there has to be at least one row between and there has to be two seats between. And it's it's like wild. They have actual rules for the season for the for the ticket salespeople that 
you have to split them up and spread them around the arena so it doesn't look so bad. Yeah. Or put them up in that, uh, that put them up in those diamonds right. in each quarter, right? Those uh, party areas. Rapid fire topic number two, Patrick Kane. We kind of touched on this earlier, three months after hip surgery, which by the way is way ahead of schedule. He was back on the ice. He says he's feeling like himself again. He's got a doctor's appointment apparently coming up where he's hoping to get cleared for contact. Uh, so maybe he signs earlier somewhere than we thought. The Red Wings keep getting thrown in there as a possible destination. Uh, your thoughts on Patrick Kane back in the ice for Yeah, I mean, I, this game's better with him not only in the game, but playing the way Patrick Kane can play. And I'm sure that deep down he would love to return to the Rangers. I don't know what the level of interest is. Uh, Buffalo is somebody that you're always going to just hear about because he's from there. Um, but then you got to look at the teams that have a lot of cap space because he's look, uh, <laughs> he's not signing for 750, uh, 775. So you're going to need to pay pa- pay Patrick Kane. You might not need to pay him 10 million, but you're going to have to pay the guy. And um, and obviously the Red Wings have are flush with money. I love the Red Wings idea. Um, both in the fact that that team is... They're going to be an interesting yeah, team. Like they, they're looking to take the next step. Their young guys are, are coming along. They're, they've added some veterans. They've been aggressive with the adding of the veterans the last couple off-seasons. Um, and the fact that just nine-year-old Jesse remembers when Chris Chelios went from Chicago to Detroit, and that was such a huge thing. Like in my, like I, That was a, 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 a transaction that from my childhood that sticks out. So Patrick Kane going to the Red Wings uh, would be interesting just for me personally, like nostalgia. <laughs> Rapid-fire topic number three. Phil Kessel says he wants to play this season, still unsigned, 35 years old, and he's thrown a little caveat in there because, you know, everyone kind of assumed that if you sign Phil Kessel, he wants that Iron Man streak to continue. He said he's absolutely willing to sit out games and, and the streak coming to an end. Jesse, we'll start with you since, you know, he's fresh off that Stanley Cup in Las Vegas. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I don't know what else he's going to say. I mean, if he wants to play in the NHL, he's going to have to be OK with that streak ending because he's at that point in his career where it's he's maybe not an every night NHL player. And I think he had to say it publicly. I mean, this is a guy that was having a baby and decided to play one shift just to keep the streak going. So, I mean, you know, like, you know, that's yeah. just, uh, that's just, uh, you know, the, the streak is important to him. Um, you know, wh- where do you think his game is at Jesse? I mean, he, could he still help a team? I mean, he's a hilarious guy. He could help a team in the locker room. I mean, he, to me, I totally credit him for not making any of us go back to Florida the, for uh, Game Six. Right, so. the players <laughs> love Phil Kessel; they love him. And, yeah. and how much does that help them on the ice? I don't know. What I will say is that he was brought in mainly to Vegas as a as to help the power play. Like Vegas' power play has sucked forever, and he was invisible, completely invisible on the power play. Did mm-hmm. basically nothing all year on the power play. So, to me, it's like, well, if that if he's not gonna inject some some offense into your power play what are you really getting from phil kessel i think mm-hmm. you can get some playmaking he's he's got the hands he's, he's not a slow skater he can still skate but the thing he would like his specialty if he's not great at that anymore are you willing to overlook some of the defensive lapses before when you when he's not getting you the power play points that you hope so yeah. I, I i think it's he's getting near the end there and it, by the way, if you're at home and you're forgetting what I meant with my joke about going back to Florida, the, there was anecdotes from players after the after the cup win that before game five, he gave the uh, 
little speech where he basically told everybody, if you guys make me get on that fucking plane and go back to Florida, I'll show you guys. <laughs> so, typical Phil Kessel. A uh, couple of retirements to pass your way, both coming because of an injury. Uh, Carl Haglin retired, had that eye injury, hasn't played since 2022, has decided to hang him up. Of course, won two cups with the Penguins in 2016 and 2017. And Jonas Donskoy, uh, seven concussions. Uh, that'll do it for you. You know, it's yeah. concussions are always tough. It's not like another injury where you can kind of say, like, you know, I don't mind walking with a limp for the rest of my life. This is this is your brain you're dealing with. So. Uh, your thoughts on these two guys? Either one kind of jump out to you, Russo. Um, I love Carl Haglin because uh, one day I was staying, uh, standing at the you know that that uh, giant elevator on the basement level of Madison Square Garden to go into the arena, and he was right in front of me, getting ready for a game. And I look at his phone, and he's playing poker on it. And I'm just like, that is a cool dude. Now that's how he was getting ready for a game. He was just playing online poker on his phone. Uh, it was just pretty cool. Um, horrible about Donskoy with the concussions, and uh, you know I'm glad he's taking care of himself and and all that. I don't I don't know Donskoy. I've I've gotten an interview with Haglin a, a number of times, and he's a cool dude, and uh, and he was a good player. You know, fast. Uh, he was very handy for a lot of teams uh, in his career. You know, Rangers, uh, Ducks uh, stand out to me. Penguins, obviously. Yeah, it's it's sad to see players having to retire due to injuries, um, not through them being done playing hockey. But I will say at the same time, I think it's a positive sign of where we're going in terms of knowing about brain injuries and knowing the the effects. I think this is some somewhat new and you see it in like football where they have way more brain injuries than, than hockey. Like players are becoming more aware of how bad this can be for them and protecting themselves. So I think while... It is sad to see Donskoy have to retire because of that. I think it's good that we as a society are learning more about head injuries and guys can make these types of decisions um, rather than just kind of going along with it and 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 suffering the consequences later. And finally, uh, we touched earlier on the show about maybe some free agents that haven't signed that we were surprised about. How about people who wear ties? I got three signings to tell you guys about. Let me know which one. Uh, maybe raise your eyebrows or you think is just a good little story. Uh, Bill Armstrong sticking around with the Coyotes, signed an extension there. Doug Wilson, former Sharks GM, uh, is now a senior advisor with the Pittsburgh Penguins. And Bruce Boudreaux also signed as a senior advisor with the Niagara Ice Dogs. Russo. Excited for that one is uh, son Ben, uh, who led Fort Wayne to an ECHL title a couple years ago. He's now an associate coach there. And so Bruce goes there and He'll do it from afar, uh, I'm sure. But, you know, he gets to go, uh, I mean, sort of his hometown team, right? His wife, his mom lives right around the corner, you know, 80-some-odd years old. Uh, Bill Armstrong makes all the sense in the world. I mean, like, look, his whole plan is for the future. They've got they've got 60-something prospects and draft picks and all that stuff uh, with all the moves that he's made. And this is all about getting out of that building and, and being a GM somewhere else. And when... The future is not, you don't know where the future is. You know, now he's at least locked up. So he knows if he's got to move, he, he's he's going with the Coyotes. Um, and obviously, Tierney just got just got extended the other day. And then Doug Wilson, my only initial thought there is I'm just glad he's healthy because uh, he was not doing well for a while. Yep, that was that's where I was going to go. Was It's good to see Doug Wilson back um, in some capacity helping a team. What a, what a heavyweight like front office they're building there in, in Pittsburgh. Uh, it's mm-hmm. going to be interesting. Like, it, in in theory, you've got a lot of great hockey minds there that can really do some good stuff. But then it's like, okay, well, with that many good hockey minds, like, how do the egos clash? How do they, like, 
I don't know. It's it's going to be very interesting. I think it has the potential to to work really well with Dubis and, and Wilson um, in a in a really good market. All right, boys. Season's just around the corner. What are we working on, Jesse? How did I, I got a question? How does Rob Rossi's ego clash with Kyle Dubis? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Fantastically for us, I think is the answer to yeah, that. Exactly. I'm just getting back to work. I've been off for two weeks uh, fishing and camping and doing all kinds of stuff. So I, I there's going to be some stuff on the horizon. But today I'm kind of just getting back into things. I don't have anything um, exactly on the menu right now. How about you, Michael? Only thing on your menu is to shave that beard. I'm not <laughs> shaving it. <laughs> I'm getting a haircut before um, I get back to, to rookie camp and stuff. But I think I'm going to leave the beard. I see, see how it goes. Oh, like ju- Jumbo Joe type beard? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, I'm on the uh, Pierre Lebrun tour. I'm going to Chicago tomorrow to cover the GM's meetings with Pierre. Then we go out to Vegas and cover the NHL media tour. That'll be a blast. A um, uh, lot of good players there. A lot of uh, story ideas that I have for the season that I'll be trying to tackle. Then we got a player poll that I've been working on. I talked to all the European guys in Sweden the other day. And then I'm going to be bringing the same questions to the uh, NHL stars that are in Vegas. Then we'll have a real good 50 person player poll with some cool questions and then on minnesota wild uh, mike madonna just moved back to minnesota for the first time since he played here with the north stars and 30 plus years i'm gonna be sitting down with him for a big story um and uh i mean just a ton of a ton of stuff on the horizon uh with the wild and then also uh, natalie darwitz the new gm of the of the uh the women's uh minnesota franchise i'm hoping to sit down with her in the coming days as well Jeez, jesse russo made you look really lazy there yeah yeah i'm okay with it he listed like 25 things that he's working on but uh get to work shave that beard yeah i'm your haircut we'll to you next week. my haircut is, is right up there with all those story ideas I want to remind everybody, you want to see these ugly mugs and long beards, go to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash The Athletic Hockey Show. And right now you get a new subscription to The Athletic for just a dollar a month for 12 months when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. The Athletic Hockey Show continues Thursday. Haley Salvian and Sean Gentili. For Jesse, for Russo, I'm Pizzo. See you next Wednesday.